بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين والصلاة والسلام على رسوله الكريم سبحانك لا علم لنا إلا ما علمتنا إنك أنت العليم الحكيم اللهم علمنا ما ينفعنا زد علما اللهم صل على سيدنا محمد وعلى آل سيدنا محمد وبارك وسلم So I've been requested to speak a little bit about atheism Now this is something as I mentioned in the previous interview I was here earlier today and um, I had a little bit of a discussion with Brother Yusuf Ali um, and I mentioned that one of the issues that's on the rise in the United States where I'm from is atheism. Unfortunately, both Muslims and even non-Muslims are falling prey to this. This is spreading like wildfire. And now, so I was requested to just speak a little bit about atheism. Now, what we've been trying to do, seeing that there's this problem in the U.S., the institution that I'm associated with in the United States, it's called Darus Salaam, it's based in Chicago, um, so we've been having seminar after seminar after seminar just about atheism, the rational proofs for the existence of God, things like that. Now, initially, I was asked to do this back home, and I said, no, no, I can't do it. I'm not a specialist in this. There's so many people that have read more in this than I have, so I, I think that they would be much better suited to do it. Granted, that is true. Those people would definitely be better suited to do it. But then I realized that this problem is so um, widespread in the United States, and I guess in the world by extension, that this is now something that we need everyone to be talking about. And then unfortunately, due to the widespread nature of the problem, we might even need nurses doing the job of doctors. That even if a person is not a full, just mutakhassis specialist in exclusively just in aqidah, in rational arguments for the existence of Allah Ta'ala, knowing every single argument that's been presented and every single counter-argument, um, we still need people to do the work because just this problem is so rampant. So with that, I realized that I should just do it. So then, alhamdulillah, I had the opportunity to perform, to conduct a few seminars on this topic. So I thought that I'd just take a few minutes right now during the Nasiha session to, um, to share some of those uh, same ideas. So now, now this is, as I mentioned, it's a very widespread problem. In the earlier interview, I had said that now there's active um, there's an active push for people to leave the fold of Islam. There's even people in Muslim concentrated areas in the United States that are putting up billboards that na'udhu billah, na'udhu billah, say things like awesome without Allah, na'udhu billah, that actively call people to leave the fold of Islam. Now this is a problem that exists. And now, so how, so I just thought I'd take a few minutes to discuss how we can engage in a discussion with an atheist or somebody who's having doubts about Islam, how can we engage in a discussion with them? The first thing to keep in mind, so this will be based on a few principles. The first principle to keep in mind when you're starting a discussion is that any discussion should be on the basis of musallamat, be on the basis of agreed upon principles. So if you both agree on something, you have some sort of a common ground, then you can build upon that and then you can, uh, yeah, you can have further discussion on the basis of what you already agree upon. But if you try to start with a basis of something that both of you don't agree upon, then you're not going to get anywhere with the discussion. If a Christian comes to a Muslim and says that you need to believe in Christianity because the Bible says so, well, will that be a good starting point? Will that be a very convincing argument? Obviously not. Because if a Muslim doesn't accept the Bible as the unadulterated, unaltered word of Allah, um, the then how are we going to like even base a discussion on that? We'll start by saying that, well, I don't even believe in that, so you're not going to convince me with anything um, from that. 
So whenever we have a discussion with anyone, it needs to be on the basis of mutually agreed upon principles. So now let's ask, what would be common ground between a Muslim and an atheist? One thing is what we call in Arabic, mushahadat, observed evidence, empirical evidence, right? Another thing is ulawiyat, um, intuitive truths, self-evident truths. And another thing that a tool that we'll use is aql, is our own sense of reason. On the basis of observations and intuitive truths, mushahadat and awlawiyat, we can deduce, we can use our reason to deduce conclusions. So this is going to be the common ground between ourselves and atheists. And what we'll do is we'll try to employ logically flowing arguments. They're called logical syllogisms, which is a logical flowing, logically flowing argument. So for example, we'll say that all men are mortal. Nelson Mandela was a man, so Nelson Mandela was mortal. It follows from the, dis the conclusion follows from the discussion. Now you can also have a logically flowing argument with incorrect premises. You can say that tigers like to bounce on their tails. Fluffy is a tiger. Fluffy must also bounce on her tail. Now, is that a logically flowing argument? It is. Are the premises correct? No. So in order to have a, a, a productive discussion, the argument needs to logically flow and the premises need to be correct. So based on that, I'll introduce one syllogism. And this is what they call the Kalam cosmological argument. The way it goes is this. Whatever began to exist has a cause. The universe began to exist. So the universe must have a cause. Very simple. And this is an argument that we use for creation. For Allah Ta'ala. Now, let me, before I get into the meat of this, let me just discuss one thing. Now, oftentimes you'll find atheists, they'll deny self-evident truths. What I mentioned is the basis between, uh, for discussion between ourselves and an atheist is one thing is observations, mushahadat. The second thing is self-evident truths, awlawiyat. These are, this is the common ground we have. Oftentimes though, you won't be able to even use that much as common ground. Why? Because atheists will deny self-evident truth, uh, self-evident truths. So for example, we'll say everything has a cause. You can't have something from nothing. So you go to Paris, you see the Eiffel Tower, you say, wow, this is an amazing structure. You ask your French tour guide, how, how did this happen? Who built this? And they say, it came from nothing. One, it wasn't there, and then one day it just popped up. You'll say, what? You must be crazy. Because what do we know? We know that you can't get something from nothing, right? Nothing comes from nothing. So this is a self-evident truth. And the key point with self-evident truths is that they do not require evidence. Why? Because they're self-evident. Why do you need proof that something comes from that nothing comes from nothing? Something cannot come from nothing. You don't need proof because it's self-evident. But atheists will deny self-evident truths. They'll say, "Why can't something come from nothing?" It just that's the extent of your knowledge that everything you've seen comes from something. But what if there's something that you don't know about that comes from nothing? So atheists will deny self-evident truths. So this is not rational. So before we even get into the discussion, we should keep in mind that the, a, the position of atheists is an irrational position because they deny things that are self-evident. Okay? There is a Christian author whose name is Frank Turek. He wrote a book called, I Do Not Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist. Let me repeat that. I do not have enough faith to be an atheist. 
Why? Because in order to be an atheist, you, it requires a leap of faith. You have to believe things that are irrational. I, I don't have enough faith for that. So very briefly, I don't know how much time I have, but let me just uh, speak for a few more minutes. What we should understand is that um, we'll go through one or two basic arguments for the existence of Allah Ta'ala. One we'll take from the Qur'an. Now I said that we're going to start with things that are mutually agreed upon. That's true, but this is, an, this is a logical argument. So whether you say it's from the Qur'an, or whether you say it's not from the Qur'an, um, or sorry, not that you say that's not from the Qur'an, but whether you say it's from the Qur'an or you just present it as a logical argument, either way, it stands. Right? Okay, so the, this is in Surah Tur, ayah numbers 35 and 36. Allah says, أَمْ خُلِقُوا مِنْ غَيْرِ شَيْءٍ أَمْ هُمُ الْخَالِقُونَ أَمْ خَلَقُوا السَّمَاوَاتِ وَالْأَرْضِ فَلَّا يُقِنُونَ Were they created from nothing? أَمْ خُلِقُوا مِنْ غَيْرِ شَيْءٍ أَمْ هُمُ الْخَالِقُونَ Or did they create themselves? Were, did they, were they the creators themselves? أَمْ خَلَقُوا السَّمَاوَاتِ وَالْأَرْضِ Did they create the heavens and the earth? فَلَّا يُقِنُونَ They're not certain. That's the reality of it. So now if we analyze this a little bit, we'll realize that Allah Ta'ala is proposing four options for our creation, where we came from. If you don't want to tell somebody it's from the Qur'an, if an atheist is not going to accept what you're saying, if he says that if you're saying you're speaking from the Qur'an, just present it as a logical argument. The first thing is that we could have been created by nothing. Am خُلِقُوا مِنْ غَيْدِ Were they created by nothing? That's our first option. Number two, we could be self-created. Am هُمُ الْخَالِقُونَ Did they create themselves? Were they themselves the creator? Number three. So number one, we could have been created by nothing. Option number one. Option number two, we could be self-created. We could have created ourselves. Option number three, we could have been created by something else that was created. Allah says, أَمْ خَلَقُوا السَّمَاوَاتِ وَالْأَرْضِ We can deduce from that that perhaps the argument that Allah Ta'ala is posing, the option that Allah Ta'ala is posing, is that we are created by something else that was created. Option number four. We could be created by something that was uncreated. These are things that we should all learn. These, Logically speaking, what are the options? Number one, created by nothing. Number two, created ourselves. Number three, created by something else that was created. Number four, created by something that was uncreated. Okay, and this is all derived from the ayah. Let's go through each of these options. Could we have been created by nothing? Does anything come from nothing? No, you can't get anything from nothing. Nothing comes from nothing. What's the proof of that? Doesn't need proof because it's self-evident, right? How is it self-evident? This is something universal. This is something untaught. This is something natural. You tell a child that the child, like let's say you're taking around your four or five-year-old, and then the child sees a big, a big building, and it says, oh, daddy, where did this come from? Who made this? And you say, it didn't come from anything. It just popped out of nowhere. Then you, the, the child will be like, huh? So even a child will question something like this. Now, if there's somebody older who is even more reasonable than, I mean, who is more reasonable than a child, more rational than a child, whose intellectual capacity has developed further than that of a child, and you tell them that, they say, oh, wow, this is a very nice car that you have. Where did you buy it from? I didn't. Where did it come from? It didn't come from anywhere. It just, it just popped up. Then will we believe them? Like, come on, stop pulling my leg. Everyone understands that nothing comes from nothing. You can't get something from nothing. So the first option, were we created by nothing? Answer is no. That's not possible. We'll logically dismiss that, that it's impossible. Option number two, could we have been self-created? So let's think about that. Do you think we could have created ourselves? For anybody to create themselves, that would necessitate that 
they would be both existing and not existing at the same time. So let's say I needed to create myself. I would only need to create myself if I wasn't there in the first place, if I didn't exist. But then in order for me to create myself, I would need to be there. So how can I create myself? It would require me to both be there and not be there at the same time, which is logically a fallacy. Right? So number two, self-created, not true either. We crossed out the first option, created by nothing. We crossed out the second option. Could we self-created? No. Third option, could we have been created by something else that was created? Am khalaq samawati wal Let's consider this. If we say, okay, sure, let's consider this for a second. Who are we created by? We are created by civilization one, for example. And they, were, they themselves were created. They say, oh, okay, where did they come from? We say, oh, they were created by another creation, civilization, civilization two. And then we say, oh, well, where did that, those guys come from? We say, oh, they were created by another guy, the civilization or guy number three. And where did he come from? It just goes on and on and on. So in English, we call this an infinite regress. In Arabic, we call it the salsul. So we say that an infinite regress is totally irrational because it won't lead to anything. If you keep on going back saying this guy was created by someone else that was created, he was created by another guy that was created, you just keep on going, will it ever stop? It'll never stop. So then how would we ever get to the point where we are today? We would never be able to, we can never traverse an actual infinity. We would never be able to get to where we are today. Because it's impossible to traverse an actual infinity. Let's just say that there's a soldier. And then he's told that he needs to shoot a target. But in order to make that, take that shot, he needs to get the approval from his superior. In order for him to give approval, that superior, the lieutenant, he needs to get approval from the general his superior, and then he needs to get approval from his superior. Now, where will it stop? Let's assume that it never stops. It goes on ad infinitum. It just continues to go on. It'll never stop. So now, will this soldier, who's with the target in front of him, will he ever shoot it? He'll never end up shooting it, because you can't traverse an infinity, right? So in other words, having an actual infinity is absolutely impossible. It's something that doesn't exist in the world. I'd love to talk about this topic more, but unfortunately, due to the sake of time, I won't be able to expand on it much more. But number three, the option was, could we have been created by something else that was created? Answer is no, because that would lead to infinite regress. And infinite regress is absolutely impossible. If it extended, this chain of creators extended infinitely, infinitely, then we would never get to where we are today. We would never get the world, because it would be impossible to traverse the infinity. You would never get to where you are today. The last option... That only leaves one more option. We could only be created by something that was uncreated, which is Allah Ta'ala. Right? That's the only option. The Quran posits four options. Could we have been created by nothing? Am min We cross that out. Am humul khaliqun? Could we have been created our, could we have created ourselves? Again, we cross that out. We dismiss that option. Am samawati Could we have been created by something else that was created? We cross that option off too. There's only one option left. We could only be created by something that was uncreated, who is Allah Ta'ala. Okay? So that's one argument for the existence of Allah Ta'ala. A very simple, logical argument from the Qur'an. Now there's many more arguments that we can do. Um, I don't know how much time I have, but, um, well, I'm not being told to stop, so let me just say one more. Okay. So now this is one of my favorites. This is the argument from cosmology. 
Okay, so the way this goes is this. I hope, I mean, I hope it doesn't take too long, but the way it goes is this. I apologize if this is very technical for anyone, but the way this argument goes is that prior to the 20th century, the 20th century gave rise to what we, what we call Big Bang cosmology. People began to believe that the universe came into existence at a certain point about 13 billion years ago, as they say, called the Big Bang. Okay, so that's what cosmologists believe. Certain discoveries led us to this. One thing is the cosmic background radiation that was discovered by Penzias and Wilson. Another thing is Hubble's law. We don't really need to get into the details of those things, right? Cosmic background radiation is basically they notice that there's this radiation that permeates the universe, that they realize is sort of background radiation from the Big Bang. There must have been, being, there must have been some big explosion in the beginning that caused this radiation to permeate everywhere in the universe. Right? There's a funny story of how this was discovered. It was discovered accidentally by these two researchers named Penzias and Wilson, but we'll leave that. Second thing is Hubble's law. Edwin Hubble, he noticed that galaxies, stars, everything, they tend to be moving further and further away from each other. He said, hey, wait a minute. If these are moving away from each other, that means what if we were to play this tape in reverse, so to speak? Okay, so if anybody has played pool, I don't play it, but I've seen it, when they hit, the, the balls are in a triangle in the beginning. Then they hit it with the white ball. And what happens? The balls scatter. Now, if you were to tape that, and then let's say you played it in reverse, what would you see? See all the balls coming together. So Hubble realized this. He said that these galaxies are getting further and further away from each other. So let's backtrack. Let's quote-unquote play this tape and rewind. What would we see? We'd see the galaxies coming closer and closer together. And we can continue to visualize this until we understand that the galaxies all converge, meet at one point. That's called the singularity. And that must be where the universe started from. Okay, so then we don't need to get into more details than that. But anyway, so then these discoveries, they led us to believe that the universe came into existence at a very definite point, which is about what they call it the Big Bang. It's about 13 billion years ago, as they say, 13 point something billion years ago. What does that have anything to do with us? Well, prior to this, what cosmologists and astronomers believed is something called the steady state theory of the universe, which is that the universe always existed. The universe is pre-eternal. It always existed. Now, for everything to come into line in the universe, like exactly aligned, if the Earth was a little bit closer to the sun, we would burn. If the Earth was a little bit further away from the sun, we would die. If the concentration of gases in our, in our atmosphere was not the same as what it is, then perhaps we wouldn't be able to survive. Everything is just fine-tuned, seemingly, for humanity to exist. Now, how did everything get into Jupiter, its location in the solar system? It keeps the asteroid belt from coming into us, right? So then there's so many different things. Now, how did everything fall exactly into place? Is it likely that everything falls exactly into place? No. But what physicists, astronomers, and cosmologists, what they postulated is that, well, if the universe existed pre-eternally, it always existed. There was no beginning to it. It was always existing. Then, even though it's unlikely for everything to fall into place, but then how many attempts do you have? How many tries do you have? Infinite tries. Right? You try one time, let's say the universe doesn't get into the right alignment. Okay, well then you have, how many attempts do you have? You have infinite attempts. So eventually, at some point, you might get it right. One point to illustrate this 
is um, what's called the infinite monkey theorem. Okay, so what that says is that if you give a bunch of monkeys, or you give a monkey a laptop or a typewriter, and you tell it just to type, so obviously the monkey is going to be hitting the keys, right? So they say that the monkey will eventually, if you give it infinite time, it'll eventually be able to reproduce the entire works of Shakespeare, William Shakespeare, word for word. You hear that, you say, huh? How is that? How can a monkey reproduce the works of Shakespeare? That doesn't make any sense. Well, the idea is that, that you, it's hitting different keys. Is it going to produce anything coherent? No. Will it reproduce a sentence of Shakespeare? Doesn't seem like it. No. Will it reproduce a paragraph of Shakespeare? No. Will it reproduce the entire, everything Shakespeare has written? From Macbeth to Hamlet to Romeo and Juliet to The Tempest to whatever else it is. Um, will, will it be able to reproduce that? Obviously not. But what if you give it infinite time? Then it has infinite attempts. Maybe, although the likelihood is very slim, it might eventually end up producing that. Now, when I tell people this, they say, Huh? I don't believe that. Well, let me ask you this. If the monkey is randomly hitting keys on the keyboard, do you think it could maybe write hi, H-I? You say, oh, yeah, maybe. Do you think it could perhaps write how, H-O-W? They say, oh, well, yeah, it's possible. Could it write hi, how, are you? Is that possible? You say, uh, well, it's unlikely, but I guess... Because it's possible for it to write hi, it's possible for it to write how, possible for it to write are, possible for it to write you. I guess there is a possibility that it could write the whole thing, but it's very slim. Just like that. Do you, is it possible for it to reproduce the entire works of Shakespeare? Uh, well, I guess so. If it has infinite time, yeah. That's the idea over here. Now, if we have infinite attempts to get the universe in the right alignment, it's unlikely but you have infinite attempts, so perhaps it'll just come together. Now, but all this drastically changed when Big Bang, when Big Bang cosmology um, came to the fore. Because people realized that, uh-oh, we don't have infinite time in the universe anymore. It's not, we don't believe in the steady-state theory of the universe anymore, where we believe the universe is pre-eternal. Rather, the universe had a very definitive beginning. Although it was a long time ago, 13, 14, whatever it is, billion years ago, but it still is a very definite, a definite beginning. Which means that, do you have infinite time anymore? No. The time that you have is very finite. Which means that the attempts that it'll take for you to create the universe, uh, yeah, you don't have infinite time to do it. So now, the probability that they calculated for the universe coming about by chance was 1 over 10 raised to 10 raised to 123. That's 10 raised to 10 raised to 123. It's called the Penrose number. This is the probability of the universe coming about by chance. 1 raised to 10 raised to 1023. Now, what is that? How amazingly massive is that number 10 raised to 10 raised to 123? You want to know how many atoms are in the universe? 10 raised to 80. This is 10 raised to 10 raised to 123. This is something astronomically bigger than that. So those are the odds of the universe coming about by chance, given that you have very little time. If you have infinite time, then okay, yeah, maybe whatever, it's possible. But given the fact that even scientists all agree that you have very finite time, because the universe came into existence at a very definite state, a very definite point, that means that your time is very limited suddenly. 
and that means the amount of that chances that the chances that you have are very limited. That means the probability of everything coming about exactly in the right alignment is basically zero, is absolutely nothing. That's the probability. So now even astronomers, cosmologists, they recognize this, that yeah, it's very, very slim, that the universe would come about by chance. Um, we'll stop over there. And we ask that Allah Ta'ala always give us um, tawfiq. And um, just very quickly before I finish, let me just mention that a lot of people that have doubts with atheism, a lot of t we might think it's only intellectual, but oftentimes it's not merely intellectual, oftentimes it's a spiritual thing. People have these doubts because they have a spiritual problem. They're not connected to Allah Ta'ala. So the solution is, yes, we learn the right arguments. We try to present the right form of understanding to them. But in addition to that, we need to put them in a good environment. We need to put ourselves in a good environment. Go to the masjid, go to jamaat, be with ulama, be with pious people, because this will rub off on us. And now the last thing is that we should just read Qur'an. I'll just finish with this. One time, I was in the library. Um, just my public library and I picked up a book and the, I saw the Islam se section so I picked up a book there's a book about Islam and then I opened it and then it was all stuff that was like what it had was quote, whatever they thought was wrong with Islam and it just put all these doubts in my mind and then I became so confused after that. I had all these doubts in my mind. And I was like, oh no, I'm feeling like so bad. I'm feeling like darkness is overcoming my heart. What do I do? So then I just happened to pick up the Quran after that. And then just randomly, the place I was reading was the 25th Juz Surah Jathiyah. Allah Ta'ala says, Hamim. Then Zirul Kitabi min Allah al Aziz al Hakim. The book was talking about how the Quran is full, full of contradictions. Allah says that Tanzirul Kitab. Allah is sending down this revelation from Allah the most knowledgeable, the most wise, uh, and, uh, the most mighty, the most wise. Indeed, in the heavens and the earth are signs for those who believe. Even your own creation and all the animals around you, everything, they're signs for those who have certainty. So I begin to think that all these doubts are in my mind, but why don't you just look around in the world around me? Look in myself, look in the animals, and you see all these signs. Then Allah Ta'ala goes on to say, If you're not going to believe in this, what else will you believe in? The signs of Allah are so so obvious. So they're just plain, they're just open for our eyes to see. If we don't see them, what else are you going to believe if you're not going to believe the Quran? Allah finishes with Woe be to every, every person who lies and is sinful. That he hears the verses of Allah being recited to him, and then he just goes away haughtily, arrogantly, as if he's never he's never heard it before. Give him the good news of a painful punishment. I heard that, I'm like, oh my God. It's as if Allah is speaking to me. That like, somebody, like, they, they're told that, the Quran, they say that the Quran has doubts. In reality, it doesn't. And then they just pretend like it doesn't, it does, and then they're just haughty. They don't listen to anything that you say. Allah says, I said, I don't want to be that person. So if a person is having any doubts, yes, we need to combat, with, combat it with intellectual arguments. Second thing is, oftentimes it's a spiritual problem. So we must connect with the ulama, connect with righteous people. We must connect with ourselves with the masjid. And most importantly, just read the Quran. You open the Quran, it's Allah's message to you. Allah will speak to you. In the light, the nur of the Quran will, inshallah, remove all of your doubts. We ask Allah Ta'ala give us tawfiq. Allah Ta'ala give us tawfiq. الله على النبي الكريم